Mm. Hey, this is, well, this is the Ambush Podcast, but my name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with that education. This right here is episode three of a series. This is the Book of How, part three, hyphen exile. Now, during this coronavirus season, which it's presenting itself as, uh, my goodness, something that's changing everybody's perspectives on a lot of things. However, the Book of Lamentations comes from this Hebrew word as its title, and the, the word is acha. Acha? Ach? <laughs> Whatever. But the word means how. Just the question, just how, how, how did this come about? How, how long will this go on? How are we supposed to make anything of this? How are we supposed to survive, thrive in this? And so I thought that the Book of Lamentations would be an appropriate book to take a look at. Now, I'm going to read through the whole chapter at one point uh, in chapter three, right here, right now. There's 66 verses, but don't let that scare you because they're short verses, Okay. But uh, thank you for listening. Go back and listen to the two before this. We've got two more to go. But I thought I would um, just do a quick recap, if you don't mind, about the Book of Lamentations. Uh, According to history, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Tradition says that Jeremiah wrote it, the prophet Jeremiah, but nothing within the text itself says that it was written by Jeremiah. And so we think it was actually written by five people potential authors, and each of them contributed a chapter, and each of them are writing about the same event, just from different perspectives. The first one wrote from perspectives of mourning and embarrassment or shame. The second wrote from an angle of anger, but this one is writing from the angle of exile or having lost home or... You could also say just hope and despair. So what we have in this chapter is uh, the poet who wrote Lamentations 3 is trying to understand what's going on. And what happened was the fall of Jerusalem. The favorite city of God has now been demolished, just smashed to pieces, and its people thrown out, its leaders outcast, And they are thrown into exile. So what we have in this chapter is essentially a group of people losing home. Now that feels appropriate. Because right now, I'm still going around to the same grocery stores. I'm still in the same place. I still have work and things to do. And it's like everything's the same, but things aren't the same. It's this weird paradox, but I know that there's a lot of people that have lost their rhythm as a result of this, and so they've lost home, and they they may very well feel as though they've also been thrown into this weird exile, but it's an exile at home. So this is a, a unique time that maybe poetry is the best thing that we could ask for to help us interpret this moment. So what we are going to do... Yeah, it was written by five different angles, uh, five different authors at five different angles, but we need to ask some questions. Um, 
why is it that lamentation or to lament is so difficult? Well, in previous ones, we've said it's because to lament is incredibly raw and it can feel very intimidating even to the person who's trying to express who's trying to express the lament, let alone other people who have to hear it. So lament is really difficult. It's emotionally quite raw and it feels unpredictable. And that might be where you are even at right now. But we have to admit uh, at the same time that the scriptures are timely and timeless. They are timely Because, as I've said before, they are written for a particular people, place, and problem. But there's also timeless stuff that, regardless of who they were originally written for, for their original people, place, and problem, uh, we have our own people, places, and problems. Because some of these things that happen in the Old Testament really are timely, but as well, timeless. And so we are going to try to read this ancient book that's potentially 2,600 years old and listen for what's timeless in it that can help us now in this season. Because this book is called How? Lamentation. Aha. So let's see what we can do. Um, I do have to say one last thing. I realize that this is coming out on Good Friday. And on Good Friday... According to church tradition, it's when we say that Jesus was thrown out of Jerusalem and then crucified outside the city limits. So, I mean, even Jesus experienced lamentation and exile in a very unique and profound way. The utter rejection and loss of his own home. (sighs) See, there's echoes of themes happening from the Old into the New Testament and even into our own lives today. So here we go. We do have to acknowledge that this book was written uh, in acrostic style, and this chapter is no different. This chapter, chapter 3, is the in the sequence of the Hebrew alphabet, but it's in threes. So it's like A-A-A, B-B-B, G-G-G, D-D-D, and that's how they order their alphabet. But each new line starts with that letter of the alphabet, and it follows in sets of three throughout the Hebrew alphabet, which is really kind of impressive. I think that's something that we obviously miss when you translate it into the English. But I think what we need to do just before we get started is recognize no matter where you are, As you're listening to this, most of us can identify with one of these few stories. That when you are on a general, when you're on like a spiritual path or journey, uh, there's a few ways that have endured that come from mostly the Old Testament. But you might feel as though you're being brought into a brand new, open, new territory, just like Abraham was sent out into a new, wider world. Maybe your spirituality feels like that. That's cool. Or maybe you feel like you were dead and now you're brought back to life and now everything is just revivified and you're like, wow. So maybe it feels like you've been raised from the dead in your spiritual walk. Or maybe you're in the midst of uh, feeling like you've, you're now wandering, that now you're in a space that's like you've lost home and now you're looking for home. 
And so those are three of some of the most common uh, archetypes that people understand their own faith journey. Either one, they're on an adventure. Two, they've been brought back to life. Or three, they're looking for home. And let's be honest, in chapter three here, the author has lost home and is looking for it again. So even though this is titled Exile, this whole chapter is really about uh, hope and despair. And as I'm going to read it, you just listen. All you have to do, I might pause every so often, but you just sit and listen and say to yourself whether or not this is a hopeful verse or a despairing verse. All right. So thank you once again for checking this out. I'm going to read chapter three for us straight through. I might make just a few comments and then we'll break it down and have a benediction and be done. So once again, thank you, but let's do this. Okay. Again, it's 66 verses, but it they're short verses, so don't don't be too intimidated. They're about this chapter's Roughly the same length as some of the other ones that we've already done. All right. Verse one. (laughs) And yeah, you're going to know right off the bat, this is a despairing verse, not a hopeful one right off the bat. Here we go. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has given me a way and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again All day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old, and he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my ways with the blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. This is utter defeat right here. This is just absolute despair. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the pit and mangled me and left me without help. Oh my gosh. He drew my bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all of my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. This is just not getting any better. This is just rough. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. But here's the shift. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. 
Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone, to crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice. Would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Hmm. Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Oh, wow. That's a great line, too. Let's pause right there because we're about halfway. So, man, it starts off pretty rough. It obviously, this, the author, the poet, has just been smashed. And there's kind of um, a twofold thing that they, they say God is like a bear that laid in wait to just maul them to pieces. Yet, there's still hope in that same God. And then it finishes right there, verse 35, by saying, Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? So a lot of people have drawn comparisons between this chapter, who we don't know who the author is, and the figure of Job, who lived much earlier. And there's even that line that says, Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him, rather than sit in dust with friends and try to explain it all. This author is saying it's maybe best to sit in silence through the hardship. Because let's be honest, when you're going through hardship, you don't really need answers in as much as you need something else that's just even beyond human words. But there's one something that's different, though, is that the author is recognizing their guilt in this passage. In verse 35, like I said, the quote is, why should the living complain when punished for their sins? So this author is knowing that he shouldn't complain, that maybe he brought on his own exile. Maybe he brought on losing his own home. Maybe he brought on this despair to himself. And that's different from Job because Job is understood as righteous and upstanding. He's, Job is kind of a patriarch in the same sense as Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. But at least here, the author, the poet of Lamentations 3, recognizes their own guilt. Let's do the second half. You ready? It goes like this. Oh, sorry. That was always verse 39. 39 says, why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Verse 40. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Huh. Okay. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Whoa. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. By the way, that right there is uh, an interesting passage. It's not that the people sheltered themselves from hearing God. It's that in this passage, God has sheltered himself from hearing them. It's a great inversal. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tear flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. 
My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees what I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought about and I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. That's probably Sheol. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. You, Lord, took up my cause. You redeemed my life, Lord. You have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. What my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them, sitting or standing, they mock me in their songs. Oof. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's the end of chapter 3. So, I felt as though that was a little better than chapter 1 or chapter 2. Maybe because there were some hopeful passages, like in the middle and then about two-thirds of the way through that chapter. But man, this is someone who's, they're speaking not always at God, but then sometimes at God. And that's probably pretty accurate of how we do lament, that sometimes we throw our laments at the biggest thing that we can, that we think should be in control, and that would probably be God. And so for us, it's kind of... It's harsh because here at this chapter, like I said, God is talked about as like a lion or a bear waiting just to maul. And that, you know what? Maybe they brought it on themselves. And that might be like a shift of consciousness because in this chapter, this is really striking. Um, At least in chapter three, there's no real victimization. And that's only because of verse 39 that says, uh, how sh- why should the living complain when punished for their own sins? It's really kind of um, not quite the same thing that we do today. Usually when we hit hardships today, we assume our own innocence. Maybe like a, like a distorted Job. Job might have actually been legitimately innocent, but... We assume our own innocence, don't we? Or at least we often try to interpret it as being innocent for ourselves. But this chapter, God has brought it on and they know it, that they deserved it. But I think it's interesting at the very end, this, this author, the poet of chapter 3, still says, God, why don't you throw down on the people that did destroy us also? So there's, there's almost like a wanting of... Spread the the grief around. Don't why don't you, Lord? Right. So okay, this is a tricky passage. This is a hard chapter, but it feels honest, and at least it goes back and forth between hope and despair. That even though the author has lost Jerusalem, they're in exile. They're thrown out. They've lost home. 
they bounce back and forth between hope and despair. And that's probably a generational thing that every generation does the same, that they bounce back and forth between hope and despair. And maybe we shouldn't throw any judgment. Maybe that's a good point. That when somebody's in the middle of a lamentation, don't judge them for having hope or despair. Because they just need to give witness. They need to uh, voice and give martyr to whatever is going on within them. And if somebody's got hope or despair, just announce it and, and proclaim it because that's what a lament is. A lament is an unfiltered cry or prayer. And my goodness, especially right now, as we're hitting week three and a half or four of coronavirus in America, yeah, let's do some honest lamenting and just faithfully announce whatever's going on internally within us. That might be one of the most healthy things to do. Okay, so what's timely here? Well, what's timely is that this person feels like they're the victim in some sense of God, but then they turn around and say, but we brought it on ourselves. But then how about God, you also... (laughs) chastise those that chastised us. So what's timely is that this person is still wrestling with the recent fact that they've been trampled. Yeah. Okay, but what's timeless in this passage? What's timeless seems to be that this this chapter is kind of like an open dialogue with oneself, that the author of Lamentations 3 like I said, bounces back and forth between hope and despair and doesn't always have a clean transition and doesn't stay in one or the other, but just kind of keeps bouncing back and forth. It's not like the author goes from despair to hope and then stays in hope. And that's probably timeless that even us, as we go through particular traumas or upheavals, disruptions. We don't always go from despair right into hope and then stay in hope. No, we probably bounce back and forth between hope and despair, despair, hope, hope, despair, despair, hope, hope, despair, hope, like back and forth like a tennis match. And there's a timelessness to that because that's, like I said, that's just a part of being human. We don't have all of the answers and we don't have God's perspective. And so we're limited And so, of course, we're going to be limited by what we can see in the moment because of our own emotions, right? But what I see happening here is that in some sense, this chapter is a a lament of nostalgia, of wanting to go backwards to when times were good before hardship fell, even if they brought it on themselves. Someone once broke down the word uh, nostalgia as nostalgia, which means like a painful homecoming. And that's kind of true. Uh, nostalgia does have a little bit of lament to it that you can't go back home because home's different now. Especially in this chapter, Jerusalem got destroyed. And so to have nostalgia for Jerusalem let's go back home. It's like, well, we can't because it got destroyed, but I wish we could go back home. So 
In some sense, this chapter is a chapter of nostalgia. It's a lament of nostalgia. But they say, like, but we know what? We brought it on ourselves. And especially right now, I bet there are a number of people, many of us, that want to feel or already feel a sense of nostalgia, of wanting to go back to how things were. But home's, home's not the same. Home is not, it's changed. And maybe that's something to lament, but there's, we can only move forward. We can't move back. So it's not just that this chapter is about leaving home or being exiled from home, but can home also now be haunted? Let's say you could go back home, but home is going to have some different ghosts in it now that you've been through an upheaval or disruption or trauma. Sometimes home is still home, but it's, it's now got a few ghosts in it. And so the book of Lamentations, especially chapter 3, let's say the, the poet of chapter 3 could go back to Jerusalem and walk amongst its rubble. Well, standing at a street corner that maybe he once could have stood and had coffee, but now it's in shambles, that's kind of painful to stand at the street corner, but now the street corner is different. The street corner is now haunted by these good memories that you used to have there. I think um, every single one of us probably have to learn how to lament, to lament over things of the past, things that maybe we brought on, but maybe also some of us have to lament, maybe in a good way, the good times, just to know that some of these good memories, they won't happen again. So let's at least be thankful that we have them, but not dwell in nostalgia trying to get them to happen again and again and again. This is... This is kind of a raw chapter, isn't it? Um, but here's what I have written down as a, like a kind of a closer thought. It seems to me that it is um, that it is perfectly normal to oscillate, to swing back and forth between hope and despair, especially right on the heels of a massive upheaval of a situation. Sometimes. Um, we can go back and forth between hope and despair seemingly within the same sentence or within the same hour or minute even. Um, but we have to give vi- witness, I almost said witness. Uh, I, I said in the previous one that the word martyr, the Greek word martyr means to give witness. And all those people who were martyrs, they just gave witness to what was within them. And that's probably one of the things that's most healthy. Every single one of us have to learn to be a martyr in the sense of giving witness to the hope and the despair that we experience in the moment. Because none of us want to be anti-martyrs and to lie or be deceptive about what's really going on within us. In fact, it would actually be the mark of an anti-martyr to not lament when you need to lament. It would actually be completely unfaithful to not lament if you have to. That's powerful. So maybe all of us just need to have a sense of um, freedom. Maybe we all each need a sense of permission to finally lament 
and be honest with the moments of hope and despair that we have when we recollect back over a situation that happened to us. I mean, that's one of the things that this book is good for. It's fascinating that this book of Lamentations, although it's only five chapters, is right in the middle of the Old Testament. And it's right in the midst of all these peculiar, odd passages. And why should we bother reading this book that's 2,600 years old? Well, because it tells us that we have to ask the question of how. And we have to ask, how can I find hope in the midst of this despair? How can I experience despair in the midst of other people telling me to have hope? You know, lamentations is a central part of a spiritual path. And especially anyone that considers themselves as a follower of Jesus. Jesus was absolutely intimately aware of the book of Lamentations, especially as he was taken outside of the city limits of Jerusalem, exiled from his own city. Yeah. There's even this very odd passage in the Gospels where Jesus is being crucified, and it says that then he he cried out in a loud voice, but it doesn't, ooh, this is brilliant, but it doesn't say what he said. It just says that he cried out in a loud voice, which means he could have had like a guttural lament in that moment that that couldn't, it wasn't even words. It was just a, a burst of emotional from emotions from the core of his being in the midst of being crucified. Sometimes lamentations don't have to be articulate. They just have to be honest. They just have to be real. They just have to be vulnerable. They just have to be. Maybe we should finish with that. A lamentation doesn't have to be verbal. It just has to be real. So I don't know where this finds you. Maybe this week you've had a hard week. Maybe this whole season of being in stay-at-home or quarantine, maybe it's been enormously um, difficult for you. And if it has, I'm not going to celebrate that, but I'll celebrate the fact that maybe some of you have learned how to lament in the midst of all of this, that maybe some of you have learned how to give voice to some of the nostalgia that you feel towards how things used to be. And maybe some of you and I, we are finally learning what it means to lament well and to give ourselves permission to bounce back and forth between hope and despair. So may you, the listener, uh, be blessed this week. May you come to understand that to lament is actually inherently tied to the center of the spiritual journey. May you sit into the reality that a lament doesn't have to be articulate. It just has to be honest. It just has to be vulnerable. It just has to be real. And so may you and I learn how to give witness, to give martyr to all of the emotions that are happening within us because the divine can absolutely handle our lamentation. May grace and peace be with you.